Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley, and I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we've got an important show today because we're going to be talking about self-compassion and balance, and that that is so important, Mm -hmm. so incredibly important, and one of the ways I know that we've found balance in our life is through yoga. So we've got a wonderful practitioner on today who's who's been through the grief and loss world, and Heidi will tell you about her, and welcome Mackenzie to the show. Thank you so much. Hi, Mackenzie. Well, like you said, Mom, we're going to talk about self-compassion and balance. And our guest, Mackenzie Studebaker, is no stranger to grief and loss. Um, because unfortunately, her brother, her 19-year-old brother, died nine years ago. And her mother died three years ago. So she has had two significant family losses in the last nine years. Um, Mackenzie is a poet. She is a yoga practitioner. And she is a trauma-informed yoga teacher. Um, she's skilled in working with teens and her classes aim to cultivate self-compassion, self-awareness, balance, strength, and ease. So welcome to the show, Mackenzie. Thank you so much. So cool to be on here with you guys. It's great to have you on today. And, um, you were saying that you started yoga when, when your brother died. I had just, I was in the spring semester of my senior year of undergrad, um, and I, you know, it's just the call that you don't expect, the call right. that my intuition, I, I purposely silenced the call from my dad at six in the morning. It's like I, I, there was a part of me that just didn't want to even believe what he was going to tell me or mm-hmm. even want to accept it at all. But yes, after getting the news of my brother's car accident, it caused me to really evaluate the path that I was on, which I think in retrospect was largely unconscious it wasn't or it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't what i wanted um or my true self what i was interested in it was kind of like decisions more from the head up of um i'm gonna finish undergrad you know i was told to go to the school and get these grades and do this and i was really good at playing the game and then when that happened none of that mattered all of a sudden Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a huge gift to be able to free myself from a narrative that I had never written for myself that had been written for me as to where I thought that I was supposed to go in my life. And I got a very strong, clear knowing that I wanted to start to study yoga. Wow. You know, I, I'm really fascinated by you're looking back at it now of seeing an experience as a gift not you know a, a change in your life i don't because your brother's death wasn't a gift a change in your life a wake-up call for whatever you woke up our whole family um you know we're we're a pretty like death phobic culture is my take on it and uh, no one knows what to say except for that they're sorry which i've learned to accept it was very jarring to me early on when people would tell me they were sorry because they did they hadn't done anything <laughs> And so I was like wanting to say, it's okay, you didn't do anything. You didn't cause Scott's death. 
So, but like, I like what you're saying. You're saying, but that's the only thing they know how to do. And that's the way we've kind of been socialized to say you're sorry is to support someone in their grief. Yeah. So I've learned to say, you know, because at first I just was so mad at everything. Yeah. But I've learned that, and I found myself, you know, when I have friends who lose family members or friends, that that's, you know, it's kind of all we have <laughs> to say that, um, and I appreciate it. Your mother got breast cancer. Was she ill for a long time or a short time? She, she got breast cancer and was in remission. And then it started to come back after um, it came back. It came back with a vengeance. And I think you know, in hindsight, I, I can't imagine what it's like to, to outlive a child, your child. And I, and I saw how that affected my mom so deeply and that there was a part of her that I think, I think she was less afraid to die because mm -hmm. she knew that she was going to be with her son. Mm -hmm. And that also provided my sister and my dad and I a sense of like, we took comfort in knowing that as well. So tell me um, what you did. Now, your brother's death got you involved with yoga. Tell us how you used yoga to get through your mother's illness and death. Having this working definition of yoga being the practice of getting to know myself mm -hmm. um, has also expanded my working definition of what yoga looks like and how one can practice it. I recently read, I was reading, I think it's Jessica Char's book, and it was giving this definition of yoga being, or of any yoga sadhana or practice, to mean that which connects you. It, yoga, the goal of yoga sadhana is to connect and discover the universal spirit within, mm -hmm. which I, love and i think it's again so open-ended and in the west we have a very like confined view of it being yoga postures or poses or asana um so my practice has looked it's 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 diversified in the like consistent eight years of daily practice and um as i've gotten to know myself on a deeper level what my body needs at the beginning it was just like coping mechanisms like how can i just going to a yoga class gave me some structure it got me out of my head it got me into my body so those were more the the physical poses that you were doing early on it's the physical postures that almost move you into the other and also the breath work mm -hmm. i think the breathing is really really key because you know our breathing is so shallow after a loss and we're so constricted and you know, it really moves all the grief kind of through your body and gets you breathing at a very deep level, which I think makes you feel better. What's my very first step? Yeah, finding a class where um, you don't feel judged and finding mm -hmm. a space where, because what we realize is that we can't compare ourselves to anyone in yoga. It's irrelevant because the whole practice is very, very personal. Um, and so it's, it's um, yeah, it takes courage to go to a class at first if you have that belief. And I think that's also something I want to highlight is that along with the breathing, along with the meditation, along with the yoga poses, working with the psyche and seeing the thoughts becoming conscious. And this is what I tell teenagers when I teach teenagers. Like, who would you rather hang out with? Someone who is conscious or someone who is unconscious? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they say conscious, you know. 
So becoming more conscious, becoming more aware to the narratives that we tell ourselves, the stories, I can't touch my toes, I don't know how to do yoga, I can't do this, I'm not good enough. All of the things, the beliefs that we carry also are a huge part of our yoga practice um, in recognizing them and shedding light on them. Because once we are aware of them, then we have choice. Let's and talk about uh, who you work with, because I think that's really important. The art of yoga, which uh, started here in the Bay Area where I live, and it's a wonderful program. And I know you work in it, and it's with incarcerated teenagers or that have been, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm very, very grateful that I felt called from very early on when I started teaching um, well, one, I live in San Francisco, so it's a very saturated yoga market. <laughs> There's a yoga teacher and studio on every corner. Um, but I saw right away that I, 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 I found yoga because I went to a yoga to the people where I could practice on a donation basis. And at that point in my life, that's, that's what made yoga accessible to me. So I, I came into this practice with a knowingness that, or an experience of like, wow, this is really helping me. Like imagine all the people that this could help who don't have access um, for many, many reasons um, to go to a yoga studio would feel even comfortable. So discovering an organization like the Art of Yoga Project was awesome. Um, also some of my earliest practitioners, the students that I had were um, teenagers because my youngest sister, my younger sister Chloe was 15 at the time. So her and her friends would come over <laughs> and I would offer donation-based classes in my parents' living room. It was very generous of them to support me in that way. Uh, when I first started teaching, and was just eager to work with anyone. And it was working with my sister and her friends and, and their openness that made me start to be very curious to this specific population, this age demographic um, of adolescents. It did lead me um, not just to incarcerated facilities, but also to... Um, uh, foster homes, group homes, and um, high school settings, but specifically the Art of Yoga Project, it is. It's incarcerated youth, and it is, they've experienced an, an immense amount of trauma in their young lives, but the resiliency and um, is unparamount, and they have so much wisdom to teach me, so what I want to share about teaching in that setting specifically is that it is not about um, how good someone's doing a pose <laughs> or, um, you know, and dropping all my expectations of what a good yoga class looks like uh, or a successful yoga class looks like. But that at this age, so much um, of how yoga can be supportive as a practice is through Sangha, is through community, is through mirroring and through um, seeing ourselves in one another and feeling like we belong. Uh, which is not the case if you've experienced trauma. You're, I mean, as all of us have, it's easy to want to isolate or to feel like we're alone in our suffering, or that we are we don't feel connection. Um, so teaching yoga to incarcerated youth really is a means just to um, mirror back their wholeness to them. We want to say two things. I think one is think about doing yoga. Find a beginner class. Yeah. Or Find somebody. Class. Restorative class is very 
easy to do. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> you, just, you don't think you're doing anything, but you're actually shifting your energy in profound ways. And, and they, they put you in poses. Yeah. Uh, find a, a very beginning. There, Mackenzie was saying it. There's yoga everywhere now, around every corner now, right? Yeah. And online, too, you know. Yeah. Um, ah, that's a good YouTube using online resources. If, for whatever reason, you don't want to or can't attend classes in person. Mm -hmm. But I think more than anything, it's what I want to say, too, is that yoga is... While, yes, having a physical practice is so, it was necessary for me to be able to start to work with more subtle aspects of myself, like my breathing, like my mind. Um, but this sense of being our own friend, I've gotten to a place in my life, and I was recently at the juvenile hall working with a group of teens, um, of girls. And I was telling them, I like to share a little bit about my story because uh, I think it helps. So it's not, I'm just mm -hmm. not some random white chick coming in here to like serve or save them, you know, mm -hmm. but I'm really right. here to be of service and to be a presence uh, without agenda. And uh, they asked me about that, like, because I said, yoga has helped me become my own friend. Like I value my gut instinct now and I, and I try to listen to it as much as possible. Um, and she asked me, she's actually, she's pregnant. Um, the girl that I'm thinking of in the unit and she's, how long does it take <laughs> to start to like yourself? And I shared, you know, uh, it's, a, it's an ongoing, it's like throughout all of life. Uh, we get to deepen our relationship to ourselves and to, to find new ways to express our love to ourselves because that we can't, um, you know, that it needs to be experienced firsthand before it can, we can experience it in relationship to others. We can feel it in relationship to ourselves. Right. Oh, Mackenzie, what, what great thoughts and ideas. And thank you so much for reaching out to the world. It's, uh, it's wonderful. And thank you so much for being on the show today. You're so welcome. Thank you for what you're doing. It's an important platform. And may we continue to feel comfortable to talk about death and dying as a part of life. Absolutely. Thank you, Mackenzie. I love all that you're doing, and I love how you're healing the world. Mm -hmm. Well, Heidi, Mackenzie's really taught us something about self-compassion and balance today, and I hope that everybody that's watching the show and listening will think about starting yoga, but also think about how you can use those gifts that change is brought into your life to help other people as you move along the grieving process. But of course, Heidi and I always want to say number one is taking care of yourself to start the process. And Heidi and I also want to always remind you that if you lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own and God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.